And welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 18th of November 2021, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock the editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Moira Lowe and Jules Watkins. Good to have you both with us. Our valued engineer is John Plush, and we are ably supported, as usual, by members of the admin team led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones, and I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatres, readers' letters, birthdays, and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' requests, nowadays they're placed in a different spot, following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays, so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone on Worcester, that's 01905 767766 or add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So we'll start now with birthdays. And for this coming week, we have two. On the 20th, Howard Jones... And on the 22nd, Joyce Pringle. So happy birthday to both Howard and Joyce when that day comes. And now thought for the week from Julian. And this is from Psalm 19, uh, verses 9 to 10. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired are they more than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now some useful telephone numbers. I've already given you the number for Colin Chance House. So the next one is the police non-emergency number, which is 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800... 
Treble five, treble one. Worcester Hub, zero one nine zero five, seven six five seven six five. Worcester Live, that's the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, and the Henry Sandon Hall. Worcester six double one four two seven. Malvern Theatres, zero one six eight four, eight nine double two double seven. Out of Hours Medical Services, one one one. And Samaritans, one one six one two three, and that's a free phone number. Right now for the headlines, and I'll ask Moira to start with the headline for last Friday. Okay, so my headline is lorry crushes safety barrier outside school. Concerns have been raised after a lorry crashed into a barrier outside an entrance to a Worcester school. The lorry reversed and crushed a safety railing in front of a path to Stanley Road Primary School in Midland Road on Tuesday. The crash had led to further calls for the school street scheme to be introduced around city schools. Councillor Lynn Denham, Worcestershire County Councillor for the Cathedral Ward, which covers the area, said it could have been dangerous if a child had been around at that time. Barriers are put in place for a reason, Councillor Denham said. It has been completely flattened. In that part of the city, there are narrow residential streets and industrial estates. There is a big problem with lorries trying to access them and having to perform inappropriate and hazardous manoeuvres. On social media, Worcester resident Nicola McAteer was one of those to share concerns. A child could have been here, she said. Accessing Stanley Road by bike or walking is dangerous. Worcestershire Highways put up plastic barriers next to the damaged railing following the crash. John Fraser, head of Worcestershire County Council Highways, said, The railing was struck by a lorry. It was a vehicle reversing out of Great Western Avenue. We have pictures of it, so we will be able to recover the costs of the repair from the registered owner. The crash led Bike Worcester to tweet, We need school streets. School streets, which are timed or permanent road closures in streets with entrances to schools, aim to make it safer for pupils by school gates. Earlier this year, Danny Brothwell, chairman of the group, said the scheme was a no-brainer and suggested Worcester was a good place for it to be trialled. That call had followed various issues outside Perrywood Primary and Nursery School and George's Catholic School and Riverside School in recent years. Councillor Denham added, I'm not familiar with that scheme. It'd be something I would be interested in it. Midland Road is a significant route through for traffic and pupils at Fort Royal require transport. No one from Stanley Road Primary School was available for comment. A disabled woman who uses a wheelchair has been trapped in her second-floor housing association flat because of a broken lift. Rachel Cuthbertson Lightlier and other residents have been calling rooftop housing since she discovered the problem at Harrington Court in Lowesmoor on Monday, but has been left disappointed and upset. 
In the early hours of this morning, Friday, the mother of one's worst nightmare came true when she had to call 999 whilst experiencing high temperature and sickness. Paramedics were forced to calm her down and carry her down two flights of stairs to an awaiting ambulance where she was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital with a suspected infection. Rooftop housing apologised for the repair taking so long and said the lift required a bespoke part. The spokesman added, The safety and comfort of our residents is always our highest priority. But Miss Cuthbertson Lightlier said she felt nobody had listened to her. It's very hurtful to know there isn't any, any empathy for the fact I'm not able to leave my flat. I'm not being heard. It hasn't been fixed. And there isn't, there isn't a plan B. They're not keeping us updated at all. They are OK for me to be left for a week stranded in my flat. Miss Cus- uh, Cuthbertson Lightlier discovered the out-of-order lift when she arrived home on Monday. She called Rooftop Housing Emergency Repair Line and during the conversation claims the person said, what do you want me to do about it? We drew gasps from neighbours who overheard the exchange. Three men eventually had to carry the 25-year-old up and wheelchair upstairs, but once she got into her flat, she realised she was trapped. I was in agony and had to take my strongest painkillers. I was lucky everybody had helped me out there, otherwise I would have been there for some time. They are aware of the situation. They know there are other people who are living here with mobility issues, single parents and elderly people. I am missing out on picking my daughter up from nursery. I've missed appointments and doctors have had to come to the house to see me, which is wasting the GP's time. I'm absolutely trapped and I've seen nothing but the same four walls since Monday. It's very hard mentally. I feel like I'm not being heard and I haven't chosen to do this deliberately. I'm not chosen to be in this wheelchair. The rooftop housing spokesman said, we are very sorry that this repair has taken so long. We've had the first call to report a problem on Monday, and our specialist lift repairer contractor, LES, went out that evening. They diagnosed the issue and ordered a bespoke part. The lift was repaired yesterday afternoon. We received two calls about the lift, one call taken by rooftop operatives and the other taken by our out-of-hours contractor. We were investigating the poor telephone response and we apologise for the inconvenience. Right, Monday's headline, Monday the 15th of November, and this is about Redditch trauma patients being sent to Worcester. The headline is, Get Ready for Even Longer Waits. The city is facing patient influx. Trauma patients being diverted from Redditch to Worcester's hospital could cause more pain for city patients, a leading councillor has warned. City and County Councillor Richard Udall spoke out after it was revealed trauma patients are being diverted away from Redditch and treated at Worcestershire Royal Hospital from Saturday. Councillor Udall said on social media, Trauma patients in Redditch will no longer be taken by ambulance to their local hospital. They will all be coming to Worcester A&E. Be prepared for even longer waiting times, ambulances in wrong places, response times extended and more painful and long waits for treatment. West Midlands ambulance crews have been told there will be no facility to admit certain trauma patients for care at Redditch's Alexandra Hospital. This includes patients with injuries including broken bones and open fractures of the hand, wrist or toes. 
The Worcestershire Acute NHS Trust has said the move is to save beds for planned surgeries in Redditch. However, concerns have since been raised over the additional pressures that ambulance crews will face as a result of the change. Just last month, West Midlands ambulance chiefs moved the service to the highest risk rating, warning serious harm or death is almost certain. This came after ambulances with critically ill patients on board were routinely held up outside A&E departments across the region, sometimes for waits in excess of 10 hours. In September, figures revealed the average handover time outside Worcestershire Royal was 52 minutes, hugely exceeding the targeted 15 minutes that they're supposed to take. Paul Brennan, Deputy Chief Executive and Chief Operating Officer at Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust, said patients who do not need overnight care will still go to Redditch. He said... We are planning to make some changes to the way a defined group of trauma patients are cared for. This is to help us move forward on the development of an inpatient trauma unit at Worcestershire Royal, as set out in our clinical services strategy, as well as bringing us into line with regional trauma network guidance and national guidelines on best practice for improving patient outcomes. We will also continue to run an emergency trauma service at the Alexandra Hospital. We're working closely with our colleagues in the West Midlands Ambulance Service to make sure that their crews get the clearest possible guidance on which patients need to come to Worcester and which can be taken to the Alexandra. Focusing more inpatient trauma surgery on our Worcestershire site will also help us protect beds at the Alexandra Hospital for patients on waiting lists for planned surgery, reducing waiting times and the risk of cancellations and supporting our plans to develop the Alexandra as a centre of excellence for planned surgery. Worcester News asked the Trust whether it expected the move to have a further impact on patient waiting times, but it did not respond. Okay, my headline is from Tuesday, November the 16th. Imitation gun sparked shooting. A paranoid man armed with an imitation submachine gun was suffering from psychosis when he was shot by Worcester police outside his ex's city home after a wrecking spree. Aaron Humphreys appeared over video link from HMP Huell at Worcester Crown Court yesterday following the dramatic incident in Ronxwood Hill in Worcester last month when he was shot in the leg by an armed officer. The 31-year-old of Weatherfield Road, Birmingham, was able to walk unassisted as he entered the prison video link booth, confirming guilty pleas to the offences. He admitted possession of an imitation firearm at a time he was committing another offence, criminal damage at his ex-partner's home, on October the 2nd. The imitation weapon named in court as an MP5K, a form of submachine gun. He further admitted criminal damage, destroying property without lawful excuse, on the same date. 
including windows, a door and a ring doorbell belonging to platform housing. Humphreys accepted he already stood convicted of the production of cannabis, a Class B drug, at a commercial unit in Worcester, following a hearing at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on October the 16th. More than 30 plants were seized by police in the course of their investigations. Humphreys was surrounded by armed police in Ronxwood Hill at around 9am on October the 2nd and shot in the leg after police received reports that someone had a rifle. Video footage of Humphreys falling to the ground after being shot has already been widely circulated on social media. We have also already reported how a cordon was put in place at the scene as forensic teams in white coats gathered evidence well into the following day. The matter has been referred to the Independent Office for Police Conduct, or the IOPC, who will carry out an independent investigation into the incident and the discharge of a police firearm. Amanda O'Mara, prosecuting, asked for an adjournment in the case for more tests to be carried out on the imitation firearm. A report has already been commissioned, but is not available yet. Miss O'Mara said... It appears to be gas-powered. It was due to be tested. What the Crown would look to do is test this gun to see whether it does have the use of a gas chamber. The Crown argued that tests needed to be performed as it would make a difference to the sentence in the case. I don't know why it hasn't been done, she said. It is possible that a further count may be drawn up against Humphreys. Tests would be designed to establish whether it's a prohibited weapon which would make Humphreys subject to a minimum sentence provision of five years in prison. The prosecutor said the offence was committed at his ex-partner's address. He has accepted he had that air weapon with him, she said. Guy Wyatt, defending, said, It's a bit of a disappointment that it has not already been resolved. However, he said he would be asking for an adjournment himself in any event. He said, the defendant at the time was having some significant mental health problems which were not controlled by medication and which are controlled by medication now. We had previous diagnosis of personality disorder, psychosis and paranoia. He said he wanted access to medical records and would possibly be seeking a psychiatric report which takes around eight weeks to prepare. Judge Nicholas Cartwright adjourned the case until Friday, January 7th. The judge said the Crown must upload any fresh count by close of business on December 15th, once the gun has been tested by a firearms expert. Humphreys was remanded in custody. Well, this headline is from yesterday, actually, Wednesday, November 17th. And it says, Woman's Picks Viewed in Phone Repair, with the subtitle of Anger Over Phone Picks. And that features the, uh, the mobile doctor shop in the, in the shambles. A woman has claimed a city centre phone repair shop rifled through years of her private pictures, including snaps of her in a bikini. The woman, who is in her late 20s and wished not to be named, said she broke down in tears in the middle of the mobile phone dock in the shambles after discovering the worker had dealt through her iPhone while it was in for repair on Saturday. The employee, a married man, allegedly grabbed her phone and purse scratched her hand in the process. He refused to give it back until she agreed to pay the £85 fee. 
She said, I dropped my phone off around 9am and was told it would take about two hours. As soon as I walked in, I saw him lock my phone and put it on the side, but I saw my wallpaper so I knew it was mine. I asked whether my phone was ready and he told me it would be an hour or so and to come back later. She continued, but I knew he'd been on my phone, so I asked for it back. Swiped up to see my most recent tabs and saw that he was looking through my photographs from years ago. Some of them were personal to me, pictures that you should only be able to see by yourself. They were pictures of me in bikinis, and I could see that he'd been looking at them. I felt disgusted and was in total shock. I could not believe what was happening. It wasn't even just about the pictures. You have passwords, bank details, personal information, and all sorts saved on your phone. I trusted that the shop was to, to not do this and was completely unacceptable. After an elderly couple flagged down a nearby police officer, he checked the shop's CCTV camera to confirm the employee had been going through the phone. She said the officer told her the footage showed the man searching through her pictures for as long as 15 minutes until she discovered him in the act. While the officer said it was not a criminal offence as the man had not appeared to have transferred anything from her phone, he was strongly advised to give her full refund. But she said a refund falls a long way short of compensating for the damage that this incident caused her. I don't want this to happen to anybody else, she continued. It has really affected me to know what he saw and to know that he could potentially be putting this out there. This might not be the first time he's done it. It might be just the first time he's been unlucky enough to have been caught. A spokesman for the business said, we have resolved the issue in the presence of the police. And the last headline article focuses on a son who believes his mum would, quote, rather die than go back to hospital. The headline is, she would have to be dragged. The son of an 87-year-old woman says she would rather die than return to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. This damning condemnation came after Mark Holmes and his mother, Avril Holmes, who suffers with dementia, waited outside the hospital for over three hours in the back of an ambulance on Monday evening. Mr Holmes, who is his mother's carer, counted as many as 18 emergency vehicles queued outside the A&E department. Some even ran out of space to park. Mr Holmes, 61, said paramedics could be seen chasing down the tea trolley so they could get food and drink for hungry patients. Others were crying in one another's arms because of extreme pressures. At one point, Mr Holmes and his mother were even transferred into another ambulance before entering A&E as the crew had spent so long waiting to discharge them, their shift had finished. He said, If Mum was taken ill again, I don't think I'd take her in the ambulance. I don't think she'd want to go. She'd have to be dragged. It's difficult because I have a responsibility. I'm a full-time carer. If I think that she needs urgent care, that might be able to reverse the problem. What am I supposed to do? To be quite honest, I think she'd rather die here than have treatment. And that's tough to have to say. Mr Holmes said that when they were finally transferred to the hospital's care, his mother spent all night on the A&E ward. She was moved four separate times throughout the early hours of the morning to cubicles that Mr Holmes said were both noisy and cold.
This is the second time that Mr Holmes and his mother have faced lengthy waits in as many weeks. On Friday, November the 5th, Mr Holmes phoned for an ambulance on the advice of his mother's GP after a bad episode of severe hypertension had caused her to have a fall. After waiting 45 minutes for the ambulance to arrive, the pair faced further delays of five hours outside A&E, despite being promised a fast track into the medical admissions unit. Mr Holmes said it then took an additional four hours for his mother to be transferred from her trolley and into a bed. However, regardless of his experiences at the hospital, he insisted the staff were not to blame. The ambulance crews were great. It was a privilege to be with them, I have to say. They really put themselves out. They phoned ahead when they picked Mum up from home to allow me to go with her in the ambulance as she suffers from dementia. I can't blame individuals for the state of the hospital. They're working with these problems. I see people doing their best. On Monday night, I saw female crew members in each other's arms in tears. It's affecting everybody down there. The truth is, they're all just suffering from the same problems. The hospital isn't big enough. Patients aren't getting into the wards enough. And because of that, workers are leaving the service in droves. If what's happening at the minute isn't a major incident, I don't know what is. Yesterday, a Worcester paramedic sent an open letter to Sajid Javid, the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, pleading for urgent help for the NHS within the county. Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said... Staff across our emergency departments are working incredibly hard to ensure that patients get the help they need as quickly and as safely as possible. We know that long waits either outside or inside our hospitals mean that our patients do not get the experience of care that we would want, which is why we are working so hard to address the challenges we face. We are extremely grateful to our colleagues in the ambulance service and other local healthcare partners who are working harder than ever to improve patient experience, reduce waiting times and help to ease the problems caused by ambulances being delayed outside our hospitals despite unprecedented levels of demand for our urgent and emergency care services. Now I'll ask Moira to read a sports item for us. The headline here is City March On. Worcester City made six wins in a row in all competitions as they breezed into the quarter-final of the Worcestershire FA Senior Invitational Cup with a 3-1 win over local rivals Bewdley Town. Chris Sterling netted inside three minutes to open the scoring and it was 3-0 by half-time after goals from the returning striker Daniel Westwood and Archie Muirhead. Simon Rudd pulled one back in the second half for Budley, who finished the game with ten men after a red card to Rio Bacala 
but it was nothing more than a consolation in the end. The only downside was that centre-half Jake Whitehouse took a knock and needed to be replaced at half-time, which leaves City a little short in that area ahead of their FA Vars clash with Whittlesea Athletic this weekend. The quarter-final draw was made on Wednesday morning and sees City host Evesham United at Clanes Lane with the game set for December the 7th, 7.45pm kickoff. Elsewhere in the first round, Starport Swifts scored a 94th minute winner to beat Malvern Town 2-1 to reach the next stage of the competition. Swifts had gone 1-0 up thanks to Jack Storer's strike, but Joe Bullock equalised late in the first half to make it 1-1 at the break. Malvern had missed a penalty before that equaliser in the first half and it eventually came back to bite them late on. Lee Hughes reacted quickest to a loose ball in the Morven box, deep into stoppage time, to send Starport into the quarters where they will face Step 3, Redditch United. Thank you, Moira. We don't seem to have as many letters this week, so Jules and I will read what we have. So the letters page from today starts with... Find out who is hurting our cats. And it's from an Anita Dias of St. Peter's. You published my letter in April 2020 when I wrote to you about my horror at reading your story on Abby and Vivian's pet cat, Ginge, having his front paws cut clean off. They believed it was deliberate at the time with no idea of how it happened. The cat somehow made it home but had to be put down. Today I've read your very upsetting story about Lola, the cat nearly dying from a suspected snare around her neck. I'm sure it's the same area. It's so very sick, could it be the same person? What can be done to find out who it is? Is anyone doing anything about it before something really bad happens? The second letter is entitled, Is Global Warming a Message from Above? And it's from a gentleman called John L. Reynolds. In my opinion, the modern lifestyle of human beings is directly responsible for pollution, helping to speed up global warming. As the population of the world grows, the problem will only get worse. If human beings were educated better on matters such as birth control, this would surely be a step towards slowing global warming. An ever-growing population will never solve the problem. I am not religious, but I wonder if God is so disappointed with the human beings he created, he's destroying them using global warming. The next one is headed, This Decision Has Cost Pensioners, and it's from Stephen Goodchild of Merriman's Hill, Worcester. Baroness Altman proposed two amendments to the government's pension uprating to restore all or part of the Conservative Party's manifesto promise to maintain the state pension triple lock. All Worcester state pensioners should know that our MP, Robin Walker, 
voted against one of her amendments and didn't bother to vote on the other. The breaking of this manifesto promise will cost state pensioners up to £9 a week. And the final letter from me is, I have nothing but praise for hospital staff, and it's from somebody called Pete Whitcomb. On Friday the 12th of November, I was admitted for a routine operation. I have nothing but praise for all the hard-working staff that work there, from the surgeons down to the nurses. In these difficult times, I was treated and looked after with great professionalism, and I am sure I would have had the same treatment at the Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Once again, I thank all staff. Well, the first letter involves the Swan Theatre and what's happening with that. This is from Friday, November the 12th. Um, And it reads, Dear Editor, in today's Worcester News, November the 10th, there is a fulsome report on the proposed move by Worcester theatres from their current and long-time home to the Swan Theatre to the soon-to-be-regenerated Scala Theatre. Councillor Mark Bayliss was understandably excited at this move and how it would also increase footfall to the north of the city centre and create many new jobs in the creative, construction, hospitality and retail sectors. All fine, but would someone please outline what the future holds for the about-to-be-redundant and empty Swan Theatre? This is a purpose-built theatre, funded by Worcester citizens through the support of the SAMA, the Society of the Advancement of Musical and Arts, and must uh, have been around for a long time and must have a long potential life ahead of it. But the city cannot claim the enrichment of the lives of local people if the abandonment of the premises looks forlorn and wasted. Dear Editor... As we pause to remember the fall in this Remembrance Day, our thoughts naturally turn to the veterans of the Second World War, and rightly so. This stoic and humble generation made the ultimate sacrifice and have been an inspiration for the countless servicemen and women who have been following after them. We must also remember those who answered their country's call to serve more recently in the campaigns in the Middle East and Europe. Events in Afghanistan this year reminded us all, not least those who have served there and their families, that for those who do their duty, duty does not end when they arrive home. For many, the physical and mental impact of their service remains with them for the rest of their lives. And the third letter we have from the same day, it's entitled Rally First for Unite. Dear Editor, Sharon Graham, the first female General Secretary of the Union Trade U- the Unite Trade Union, will be a guest speaker at the upcoming party organised by the Socialist Party, taking place in London over November 20th and 21st. Sharon will be at the People's Palace, Queen Mary Uni, London, on Saturday, November the 20th, with the rally starting at 4pm and closing at 6pm. Tickets info can be found at www.socialism2021.net and socialistparty.org.uk. Thank you, Jules. And now on to some of the articles from the week. And the first one made me angry. I don't mind admitting. Taxi guide dog refusal. Three city taxi firms refused to pick up a disabled and partially sighted woman in Worcester City Centre because she had her guide dog with her. It has been claimed. Michelle Rasdall, 
owner of Mr. Sims' old sweet shop, said the loyal customer came into their shop in floods of tears because she couldn't get home on Thursday afternoon. She was distraught and very distressed, Mrs. Rasdall said. She had been in town for a couple of hours. She had been to the Armistice Day service to remember her brother. Two taxis had turned up and not wanted to take her home. The third black cab turned up and when they saw her guide dog said it is against our policy to take guide dogs. She challenged them that time saying it is against the law. They just said it is against our policies. Under the Equality Act, guide dog owners have the right to enter the majority of services, premises and vehicles, including taxis, with their dog. Right of entry laws also apply to all registered and trained assistance dogs, like those who help with mobility, hearing and medical detection. Mrs Randall added, She is a regular customer and we wanted to support her. I walked her down to the cross and spoke with the taxi drivers and found one who would take her home to Kemsey. With going to the armistice service, it had been a traumatic enough day for her. She deserved to have her dignity. We are hoping that this is an isolated incident. I just find it very sad something like this can happen. We support disabled customers. Our sweets can be read in Braille. We support them. Mark Rasdall, the co-owner of the shop, added, One of our loyal customers, who is disabled and partially sighted, distraught seeing refuge in our, seeking refuge in our shop. Taxi firms in Worcester were refusing to take her home. How can this be allowed in Britain in 2021? Taxi drivers who have been caught elsewhere refusing to take people with a guide dog have been fined and some have even lost their licence. Worcester Taxi Drivers Association was con contacted for comment but no one responded before our deadline. A long haul for injured dad. A hard-working father faces months of recovery after he was left seriously injured following a crash in Poek. Doctors at Queen Elizabeth Hospital Birmingham rushed to save Zach Martin's legs after Friday's crash. A grey Vauxhall Astra crashed with Mr Martin's motorbike, leaving the 31-year-old facing months of recovery after suffering, suffering a broken pelvis and broken femur. He also dislocated his knee, shattered his ankle, as well as suffered a head injury and other physical damage after the crash on Malvern Road at the junction of Sparrow Hall Lane. Mr Martin from Malvern had both his legs pinned and caged and faces months of recovery as family and friends launch a fundraising campaign to help the family while he is unable to work as a general manager at a welding company. The GoFundMe page, set up by Chloe Crease, said Mr Martin and his partner Anna Smith were going through a horrendous time. It said Zach was taken to the QE, where he was run straight into theatre to try and save his legs. 
He is set to be bedridden and going through more surgeries and rehab for the next three to six months. Zach's injuries are potentially life-changing. He has a broken pelvis, broken femur, dislocated his knee, shattered his ankle, a head injury and other damage. Zach has had both his legs pinned and caged and now it's a waiting game as he mends. Zach and Anna are a couple who have always been there for me no matter my situation. They are the most selfless, caring people I have the pleasure of knowing. Zach is a grafter, works hard to support his family and has always pushed hard to get where he is now. Because of the accident, Zach is obviously now out of work for the foreseeable. This is causing massive financial stress on top of what they have now to face going forward as a family for Zach's recovery. If we could raise some funds for them to continue to live securely and help them along while Zach recovers, it would be amazing. Anyone who would like to donate should visit www.gofundme.com support for Zach's family through recovery. Well, this uh, article is entitled Every Little Help Schools. A school in Worcester has received a cash grant to help pupils with their mental and emotional well-being. Christopher Whitehead Language College was voted for by parents and customers in a competition to win the grant provided by Tesco in St Peter's. The £900 will be used to invest in programmes to help mental health. These include workshops and self-help activities, which come after one of the most challenging periods in recent memory for schools, pupils and staff across the country. Head teacher Neil Morris said, Young people's mental health issues have risen considerably during the last 18 months. We currently don't have the resources to engage mental health professionals to provide selling as many of our students and staff, so this grant will help a huge difference, will make a huge difference to our school and community. He continued, We look forward to working together with Steve and his team from Tesco St Peter's in the future on other projects and funding raising events for the school and the community. A massive thank you to each and every Tesco customer who voted for us. The school won the cash grant as part of the Tesco Community Grant Award Scheme, which sees community organisations and good causes share in a portion of the money. Customers in store chose which good cause to vote for with the money shared proportionately between them. Tesco St Peter store manager Steve Winfield, who is a former pupil of the school, and community champion Rachel Bluck visited the school to present the cheque to Mr Morris. Mental health support services for children and young people face a domino effect due to significant financial challenges facing organisations in the community, a coalition of groups has warned. The Children and Young People's Mental Health Coalition, which represents 240 organisations, said services are not able to keep up with demand amid rising numbers of children in need of mental health support. The coalition has made a series of recommendations to the government, including a fund a funding of networking of early support hubs to be rolled out across the country, which would provide young people somewhere to go when they need support with their mental health. My next article is entitled Televisions Were Stolen to Order. A crack-smoking supermarket shoplifter who stole a charity box took televisions to order. Lewis Ilsley was spared jail despite admitting a string of theft offences at various supermarkets in the city, including Tesco in Millwood Drive and the co-op in Litchfield Avenue when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester. Laying out the sad background to his life, 
He told a probation officer his mother left when he was 11 years old. He had taken crack cocaine since he was 13 and suffered PTSD due to having an abusive father. He told the court, drugs became my parents. In total, the 43-year-old of Coppice Close Hallow near Worcester admitted 11 thefts, including at Sainsbury's in Windermere Drive, a Tesco Express in London Road and Spa in August and September this year. The items he stole included meat, cheese, gin, bottles of vodka, washing detergent and four televisions. The televisions, worth £800 in total, were all stolen from Tesco, two on September the 23rd and two more just two days later. He was said to be acting as part of a group when the thefts happened, which was considered an aggravating feature of the case. Two years ago, we reported how Ilsley was convicted of theft, having admitted to stealing a collection tin containing £300 meant for sick Worcester schoolboy Oscar Saxel B. Lee. Ralph Robbins Landricum, prosecuting, described how Ilsley took the TVs, walking out without paying. The defendant was identified via the store's CCTV. He says the majority of the offences and the stock stolen was pre-ordered and the defendant stated, due to Covid, he'd lost his support structure, causing him to fall back into drug use. He was stealing goods to order, said the prosecutor. The court was told the defendant had 41 previous convictions, largely for offences of shop theft. His last offences before the court were handling stolen goods and shoplifting. A probation officer interviewed Ilsley before he was sentenced, delivering a verbal report. She described him as quite open in interview. He said all the offences were to fund his drug use, crack cocaine being the drug of choice that he takes. He tells me he has had a health scare. He found out he had a blood clot on his lungs, she said. Gary Harper, defending, said Ilsley, who now has stable accommodation, was motivated to become a good and useful citizen once more. Magistrates made a 12-month community order to include 30 rehabilitation activity requirement days and a nine-month drug rehabilitation requirement. He was also fined £70. Because of this outstanding debts with the court, £1,940, the bench did not feel it reasonable to add the full amount of compensation to all the supermarkets for the goods stolen, although they did order him to pay £30 to the spa shop, that being a smaller shop than some of the others. No order was imposed for costs and no statutory victim surcharge was levied. A man was back in court for spitting on a shopper and punching him in the back. 
William McKay appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court again on Thursday, this time for an unprovoked attack on a man out shopping with his mum in Sainsbury's in Blackpool, Worcester. The 22-year-old of Randwick Drive, Worcester, admitted assault by beating and using threatening or abusive words or behaviour during the incident on May the 22nd this year. We reported last month how McKay admitted two assaults against emergency workers, <coughs> excuse me, criminal damage and threatening behaviour. This included spitting at a police officer who had to dodge the attack and damaging an innocent woman's dream car. Mark Hambling, prosecuting, said the incident happened at around 8.22am in the supermarket car park as the victim, who was not named in court, tried to retrieve a trolley. He's approached by two males, one of which is the gentleman you see in front of you here. There was a confrontation. The victim in the matter believes that the gentleman is acting in a very erratic manner. Words are said. The victim takes a trolley and turns and walks away. This young man spits on the back of the gentleman's neck. He follows him. There's still words said between the two parties. The victim walks away, pushing the trolley. He feels a punch. It's not a haymaker. There's no considerable force. It's somewhere between the gentleman's shoulder blades. He feels the impact, but no lasting injuries sustained. The gentleman carries on his way to the shopping with his mother. The victim said he felt angry and fed up after he was spat upon. The prosecutor said he was not clear whether the victim's mother had witnessed the attack. McKay was also heard to swear and say, I will knock you out. Gary Harper, defending, said he's intoxicated despite it being really early in the morning. Mr McKay, having seen the CCTV in the cold light of day, wishes to apologise and is most remorseful for his actions. We reported in October how McKay twice spat towards PC Church, although the saliva did not make contact with him after the officer stepped out of the way made an obscene sexual reference to someone's dead nan and damaged a car during a series of incidents between September the 10th and 11th this year. McKay also threw lager over PC Jeffries, which landed on his face and uniform and left him drenched. Magistrates revoked the existing community order and made a new one. This one will include a four-month electronically monitored curfew 15 rehabilitation activity requirement days, £135 costs and a £95 victim surcharge. He must also complete 60 hours of unpaid work. Alan Simmons, the chairman of the bench, told McKay it's got to stop because it's on a downhill path. It cannot go on. You're going to end up in prison. A fines collection order was made, giving the court extra powers to recover the money owed. Well, this article is uh, entitled <clears throat> Knives in Plain Sight, from Wednesday, November 17th. Knives and weapons were found hidden in public places around Worcester by police officers. West Mercia police officers carried out searches in Fort Royal Park and around the Cathedral Ward as part of Operation Scepter, during the sweeps, they discovered about three knives and an improvised metal item that could have been used as a weapon. The searchers also turned up a number of plastic bags used by drug dealers. 
Operation Scepter launched on Monday to tackle knife crime. People are being encouraged to hand in unwanted knives to stop them falling into the wrong hands. Surrender bins have been placed inside Worcester Police Station in Castle Street for people to drop off knives and bladed weapons. West Mercia Police's knife crime lead and head of local policing, Chief Superintendent Paul Moxley, said, Fortunately, we do not experience the same level of knife crime in our towns and cities as we have seen in other parts of the country. However, that doesn't mean we are complacent. We know it does happen and it's vital to take the appropriate steps to prevent young people from carrying a knife and prevent crimes involving knives. We have increased the number of officers in our teams who specifically take on early intervention and intervention roles with children and young people across the force area. I firmly believe early intervention is crucial in deterring young people from becoming involved in knife culture. One life instant, one person hurt, is one too many, and the more we do to stop knives getting into the wrong hands, the better. There will also be a knife arch which will be in place at key locations such as train stations and local schools to highlight the steps police are taking to prevent people from carrying a knife in public. Anyone who is concerned a young person is involved in or on the periphery of becoming involved in a knife crime and carrying a knife can report this anonymously to Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. Now an article, I think, to raise our spirits. These machines can save your life. Worcestershire County Council is working to raise the profile and location of defibrillators, AEDs, across Worcestershire. At a meeting of the council last week, councillors agreed to work with relevant agencies and partners to raise the profile and locations of automated external defibrillators, AEDs, across Worcestershire to ensure residents throughout the county know the importance and location of them. A notice of motion was put to the council by Councillor David Chambers, the member for Tenbury. Councillor Chambers raised the issue following an incident earlier this year. He said, I attended a parish council meeting in my division in the summer which began with the chairman reporting that the district councillor was unable to attend due to suffering a cardiac arrest the previous day. The councillor had been playing walking cricket when he suffered a cardiac arrest. Fortunately, others rushed to get a nearby defibrillator and according to paramedics later, it was this that without doubt saved his life. A cardiac arrest, where the heart actually stops beating, can happen to anyone of any age. More than 30,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests happen every year in the UK, and the survival rate without medical assistance is less than 1 in 10. Councillor Chambers said, Any one of us attending someone who is suffering a cardiac arrest really can make a difference if we know where a nearby defibrillator is located and can use it quickly. If used within three to five minutes, the survival rate can be increased to over 50%. Councillor Chambers asked Worcestershire County Council, together with relevant agencies and partners, to do four things. Raise the profile of automated external defibrillators, Inform residents of the locations of AEDs, 
encourage everyone who has a defibrillator on their premises to register it with the ambulance service and inform residents of the importance of AEDs. Although a number of apps and websites actually exist, rarely do they contain all the locations in any given area. Following Councillor Chambers' proposal, a number of councillors spoke in support. I was delighted with the response and support from councillors of all parties, he said. Some of the points raised were very moving, detailing either how an individual had known of someone whose life has been saved with the use of a defibrillator, or how things would have been very different had a defibrillator been available. The notice of motion was passed unanimously. Councillor Chambers added, I urge everyone to find out today where the nearest defibrillator is located to their home, their place of work or locations they visit regularly. I encourage every town and parish council to install at least one defibrillator in their area and similarly places of work, sports venues, hospitality locations, places of worship and naturally places of education. I am grateful to the County Council for agreeing to lead this important issue in order that we can ensure residents in Worcestershire have a better than average chance of saving someone's life following a cardiac arrest. A career burglar who stole a Worcester Hospital porter's bike and attempted to raid a city nursery was so desperate to escape police he jumped out of a window. Nicholas Dutfield, who has what the judge called an appalling record, he even tried to break into Worcester Nursery but was thwarted by security features and ultimately detained <coughs> thanks to an observant off-duty officer who saw him stealing a sandwich at Aldi. The 50-year-old admitted burglaries at two Worcester gyms, stealing a push bike from a lock shed at a Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester and even stealing items from a city oldie store before he was caught and arrested on October the 11th this year. Judge James Burbridge jailed Dutfield for 23 months at Worcester Crown Court on Friday, referring to the theft of the hospital porter's bike as a mean offence, depriving the worker of his means of transport for a month and a half before it was reunited with its owner when Dutfield jumped from a window in a flat in All Saints Road as he fled police and went on the run. The theft of the bike from a locked shed at the hospital occurred on May the 24th this year, the owner putting out an appeal on Facebook. The bike was recovered on August the 19th this year. Rachel Pennington, prosecuting, said, He jumped out of the window of the flat... An appeal by West Mercia Police meant the bike, a black Carrera, was returned to its rightful owner. On July the 3rd this year, Dutfield broke into Blueprint Gym in Weir Lane in Worcester, smashing a ground floor window and stealing cash, a laptop and a digital camera, valued at £1,664. Cell site analysis was used to collar Dutfield, his mobile phone placing him at the scene at the relevant time. An attempted burglary happened at the Wishing Well Nursery in Worcester a few days later on July the 9th. Miss Pennington said, 
There were numerous tool markings on the outside of the door. It looked as if a crowbar had been used to force the door open. However, three deadlocks prevented him gaining entry. Dutfield was responsible for another burglary at Foot 360 in the Shrub Hill Industrial Estate on October 6th this year. Again, a crowbar had been used to gain entry. A wooden pole found outside had been used to smash the window. A ring doorbell had captured Dutfield's face before he could disable the device. Dutfield was finally arrested by an off-duty police officer on October 11th. The officer had seen Dutfield's face at an earlier police briefing and was aware he was wanted. At the supermarket, he saw Dutfield pass the tills without offering payment for a sandwich. Dutfield also stole a can of Coke and a chocolate bar. Dutfield of Wiles Lane, Worcester, has 40 convictions for 175 offences, 135 theft and kindred offences, including a substantial number of non-dwelling burglaries, 10 such burglaries. It was considered an aggravating feature that Dutfield was on licence at the time of these offences following a 20-month prison sentence imposed on August 28th last year. A further aggravating feature was that he evaded arrest by going out of the window. Well, this is entitled uh, Vaccine Venue Goes On from uh, Friday the 12th. And it says... Worcester Racecourse will continue to provide vaccines until the end of the year. Originally, the contract for the clinic was set to expire at the end of this month, but will now continue to provide flu and booster jabs until the end of December. Since opening in September, thousands have flocked to the racecourse to get vaccinated. The huge demand has meant the centre has now run out of vaccines suitable for under-65s. David McDowell patient quality manager at Worcester City Primary Care Network says we've been absolutely blown away by the enthusiasm of our flu vaccination centre at Worcester Racecourse with close to 20,000 local residents vaccinated since we opened a little over six weeks ago. We want to say a massive thank you to the racecourse team who've gone above and beyond in support of this rollout and we're thrilled to be extending the contract until the end of December giving eligible patients in Worcester even more time to grab their jabs. On behalf of GPs and other primary care providers in Worcester City, we also want to say a huge thank you to the people of Worcester for being so forthcoming in getting your flu jabs this year. Winter always puts significant pressure on our local NHS services, and so to every single patient who come forward to get vaccinated, we want to say thank you. It really does make a difference. Patients do not need to be invited by their GP to get the flu jab. However, due to the high demand, people are being urged to use the new tracker to check if the vaccine is in stock, as different vaccines are given to those aged under and over 65. While the race course is primarily a flu vaccination centre, immunosuppressant patients are now being invited to receive their third dose of the COVID vaccine. These patients are being screened by their GP practices and invite continues to be sent out to eligible people across Worcester. Everyone else looking to get their COVID booster jab is reminded they can book online for St Peter's Baptist Church or attend a walk-in clinic. Now an article entitled Drug Addiction Led to Reptile People Belief. A drug user from Worcester who threatened his mum came to believe reptile people were trying to take over his brain, a court heard. Sam Gleedle was said to have taken so many drugs 
that he had come to believe a delusion that there was a reptile conspiracy to put microchips in his brain, although he has now got himself clean of drugs while in prison. The 35-year-old admitted a public order offence, failing to attend probation service appointments and breach of a suspended sentence order when he appeared over prison video link at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday. However, Judge Nicholas Cartwright accepted it would be unjust to activate the suspended sentence as the defendant had already spent 11 weeks in custody awaiting sentence, the equivalent of a 22-week prison sentence and longer than the maximum sentence he could impose for the offence. Gleedall, now of Park Street, Worcester, had arrived at his mother's city address on Sunday, August the 22nd. Amy Parks, prosecuting, said the defendant's mum had described their relationship as difficult and becoming strained because of his drug-taking. She believed his mental health had deteriorated over the past 18 months and he had developed an obsession that he is somehow part of a reptile conspiracy. At 9am, his mum allowed him inside her property as he appeared to be calm and no longer under the influence of any substances, said Miss Parks. Gleedall, who told a probation officer he'd previously used heroin and spice, asked his mum for money to pay for a replacement key for his social housing. She was happy to loan him the money for this key and he's pleased about this. Shortly after this, the defendant started rambling again about an attempt to program him and place microchips inside his brain, said Miss Parks. He spoke about smashing a church window because nobody had given him any assistance. He started shouting, she was a bitch and your windows will be next. She interpreted this comment as a threat. He would smash the property. At this point, he left the address and attended his sister's address, she said. Police were called and Gleedall was arrested in St Paul Street. His mum said that her mental health has suffered as a result of the constant anxiety she has experienced because of Sam's recent behaviour and that safeguards needed to be in place to protect people from him. Police interviewed Gleedall on August the 25th and he admitted attending his mum's address but couldn't remember what was said. Gleedall has 36 convictions for 56 offences, seven of which relate to public order offences. He also has convictions for harassment and breaching antisocial behaviour orders. By this offence, he was also in breach of a suspended sentence for wounding, 12 months in prison suspended for 24 months. We have previously reported how Gleedall was one of two men who attacked Hubert Locke after they pulled up at an address in Shakespeare Road, Dines Green, on January the 18th, 2016. Stuart Halliday was carrying a samurai sword and Gleedall an iron bar. There was a scuffle and he was attacked and injured before they got away in, in their car. 
Mr Locke was treated in hospital and needed surgery to insert metal plates and metal mesh into his face, where he had two fractured. Gleedall was jailed for three years, and Halliday had two years added to the end of his existing sentence. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, You held, at the time, a genuinely but delusional mindset that you were somehow the victim of a conspiracy by reptiles seeking to implant a microchip to control your behaviour. This wasn't fake thinking on your part, although plainly it's massively distorted from reality. In whole or in part, it has been brought about by your misuse of drugs. The judge imposed a 12-month community order to include a drug rehabilitation requirement, the progress of which will be reviewed on December the 9th this year. The suspended sentence was not activated in whole or in part. A restraining order was made for three years, which prevents him attending his mother's home address in Bransford Road in Worcester, or from going to her place of work, or from contacting her, unless it is an emergency. Right, some more positive news now. Your presence is requested by Father Christmas himself to take part in one of the most festive fundraising events of the year. You can kickstart Christmas by signing up for a free virtual extravaganza in aid of Acorns Children's Hospice. By signing up to Acorns Virtual Santa Dash, you'll be supporting Santa and the charity to deliver the best gift this Christmas, the gift of care. Father Christmas needs your help to raise vital funds towards the Acorns Specialist Hospital hospice care this Christmas for children with life-limiting and life-threatening conditions. The event, which is taking place from December the 1st to the 14th, will see fundraisers choose their own 1, 5 or 12 kilometre routes in the location of their choice. Participants who raise just £10 will receive a fundraising pack, Santa suit or Christmas sack for children medal and a certificate from the man himself. Kirsty Murray, Acorns Events Coordinator, said, We're all very excited at Acorns to be bringing our Santa Dash back again this year. We are looking for lots of festive fundraisers to kickstart Christmas by signing up for Acorns Virtual Santa Dash. There's something for everyone and you can complete it in one go or over several days. So get ready to run, walk, skip, hop or jingle all the way in support of local children and families this Christmas. Those who sign up are urged to set up a fundraising page and join Acorn's exclusive Facebook group, which will build excitement ahead of the event with challenges and competitions. Kirsty added, this free event is not only a whole lot of festive fun, but all the money raised will make a real difference to the children and families who need us all year round. Your sponsorship will help us be there for families who need us, which truly is the greatest gift. We hope you can join us and make this Christmas extra special. Acorns Children's Hospice provides specialist palliative care for life-limited and life-threatened children and support for their families from its three hospices based in Worcester, Birmingham and Walsall and in the community. In the past year, the charity has cared for more than 700 children and almost 1,000 families, including those who are bereaved.
Well, this is entitled MP Backing College Vigil. Despite being unable to attend, a county MP has lent her support to the village, so, sorry, for the vigil for Malvern Hills College next week. West Wittish's Harriet Baldwin says she's continuing to lobby the government to keep the college open. Members of the public will be meeting in Priory Park on November the 30th to demonstrate on the anniversary of the college closure announcement. Mrs Baldwin says, I've been t- talking to ministers and speaking to the House of Commons to raise awareness of this issue in Westminster. And although parliamentary comments prevent me from being at the vigil, uh, commitments even, um, I have let organisers know and pass on the message to support to share with everyone. I'm doing everything I can to try to bring the situation to the best possible resolution. I'm hoping that the Department of Education will be able to confirm that the covenant will be enforced and we can save Malvern Hills College for generations to come. Riverside hit by vandals is the next article. Vandals tossed life rings into the river and ripped down fencing, keeping swans protected during the bird flu outbreak. Thugs have ripped down the fences, which are currently keeping swans away from people amid the avian flu outbreak in Worcester. Life-saving equipment has also been thrown into the river at some point on Tuesday evening. Mark Broomfield discovered the vandalism yesterday morning. He said, I spend a lot of time walking along the river, and this isn't the first time I've witnessed vandalism. Having fallen in the river as a young boy, destruction of lifeguarding is something that always angers me. The riverside is a great community asset, and that is maintained to an incredible standard by the authorities. It's enjoyed by us all, and there is very little we have to do except enjoy it in peaceful contemplation and remove our rubbish. This, however, appears to be a difficult set of instructions for some. The workers will be back out soon, and shortly it will appear that nothing was ever wrong. Let's just hope that no one needs rescuing in the meantime. Mr Broomfield reported the vandalism to the City Council. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, The presence of avian flu in Worcester has been confirmed and the fencing at the Swan Sanctuary has been put in place in an effort to prevent the public from coming into contact with the birds at that location. This will reduce the potential for walkers, cyclists or their dogs to accidentally spread the disease. We've acted quickly to repair the vandalism to the fencing at the site today. In July, life-saving equipment was taken from the port safe station near the Swan Sanctuary. Vandals stole the emergency rescue pole, a long pole with a buoyancy aid and hook at the end, to help pull people to shore if they get in difficulties in the water. The equipment was eventually returned to the station after it was featured in the Worcester News. A thief was caught on camera pulling off the window of a BMW during a night of car break-ins in Worcester. The brazen thief can be seen with one foot on the car, pulling on the window, which eventually comes free. He managed to get away with the wallet, which was in the vehicle's glove box, as the alarms sound on the car parked in Wolfdale Drive, Wandering Villages, at about 1.30am. 
The car's owner, Joe Green, says he has been contacted by at least 10 of the people in Warnden villages, Warnden and Ambleside, whose cars were also broken into or tampered with overnight on Wednesday. Mr Green said he seems to be going on a rampage. After I shared my videos on Facebook, people have been contacting me and there were loads from overnight. This guy must have done about 10 cars. He's been spending hours on end from about 12am to 3.20am. He managed to get my wallet out of the glove box, but he has done a lot of damage to the car. He smashed the window and damaged the door by using his foot to get into the window. The damage is going to be pretty expensive to fix. The 20-year-old said he heard the car alarm sounding, but by the time he got to the window, the thief had already run off. He said in all the videos he has been sent, the person is wearing the same outfit. A van's windows were smashed in Kentmere close overnight. Over the last few weeks, there have been a number of car break-ins across Worcester. However, police have previously said they do not believe they are linked. Inspector Fergus Green said... Such offences can be really distressing and impactive for the victims and I understand that three or four similar reports over a four-month period might give rise to a concern that this area is being targeted by a gang or similar. However, the MO and circumstance is very different for each offence and we have no reason to believe they are linked. While it is absolutely the role of police to investigate such offences, I would also encourage vehicle owners to ensure they do not leave valuables on display and do not leave keys for the vehicle inside the vehicle unattended. Often, offenders are opportunistic. By removing the opportunity, we can prevent the crime. Anyone with information should call police on 101. Well, this story is entitled No Rise in Exclusions. A mum who became an anti-bullying campaigner after the death of her son has welcomed news that bullying exclusions in county schools have not risen. But Lucy Alexander has urged caution that the figures may be down to the effect of lockdown, with bullying potentially moving further online and schools being unaware of it. Department for Education figures show that Worcestershire schools excluded students 25 times for bullying in the 2019-2020 school year, all of which were temporary exclusions. <clears throat> This was unchanged from the year before. The vast majority, 23, occurred in state-funded secondary schools, while two took place in primary schools. Mrs Alexander became an ambassador for the place-to-be anti-bullying charity after her son Felix killed himself at the age of 17. Mrs Alexander, who visits Worcestershire schools to speak to pupils, said bullying is still very much an issue. Schools are dealing with bullying on a daily basis, but they don't all end up in exclusions and the national numbers. With cyberbullying during the pandemic, unless it's reported to them, schools are not always aware of what's going on online. If I'm honest, I don't think they will have much changed and bullying would have increased as it's online is still going on. No rise in exclusions is good, but then exclusions is never the answer anyway. You are just taking the problem away for a while. It is not really helpful. You have to deal with the root of it. Across England, 2,438 permanent or temporary suspensions for bullying were recorded in the year that included schools shutting for the first lockdown, down by 3,510 on the previous academic year and the lowest number since records began. The Department for Education said permanent exclusion should only be a last resort and should not mean an exclusion from education. 
A Department for Education spokesman added, bullying is never acceptable in any form and we must take a stand against bullying to create a safe place for all children in the classroom and online. We are supporting schools to tackle all forms of bullying, including through providing funding for anti-bullying charities and ongoing work to improve behaviour. And now an article about Remembrance Sunday, which occurred during this last week. Crowds return to clap at Remembrance Day services. Thousands gathered to remember the fallen at poignant Remembrance Day services across the county. There was the traditionally wreath-laying at memorials, the wearing of poppies and sombre ceremonies. For many, it was the chance to see a live service for the first time in two years after events had to be scaled back due to COVID restrictions last year. And everyone fell silent at 11am for two minutes to remember those who died during the First and Second World Wars and in conflict since. Worcester Cathedral held a remembrance service before an act of remembrance took place at the County War Memorial. The cathedral service that took place from 10am included the singing of hymns, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, Be Still My Soul, Lord of Lords and King Eternal. The act of remembrance service began with a welcome from the Dean of Worcester, the very Reverend Peter Atkinson. The bugler sounded the last post before a gun was fired and the cathedral bells rang out at 11am. A gun was fired to mark the ending of the two-minute silence before the bugler sounded the reveille. The famous poem For the Fallen by Lawrence Binion was then read out before wreaths were laid out at the war memorial. The cathedral choir sang before all participants joined in with the hymn O God Our Help in Ages Past. The service concluded with the Lord's Prayer and the National Anthem before crowds clapped as a parade led by Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regiment headed down the high street. The parade included veterans, air, sea, army and police cadets. Lee Bond from Worcester said, I was here last year, it wasn't the same. There has been a really big turnout. Richard Mortone from Crowell said, This is the first time we've been to the Worcester event because our granddaughter was playing in the band. It was very moving. And Ron Page from Worcester added, My dad fought in the Second World War. I remember him today. Elsewhere in the city, scouts, cubs, beavers, brownies and rainbows joined cadets from all the services for acts of remembrance at churches across the city, including St John's, Clanes and Rushwork. In Malvern, a service was held at Great Malvern Priory, as well as the War Memorial outside the library. A charity that supports people who are struggling with loneliness is encouraging people to sign up as volunteers and make a difference to people's lives. Worcester-based non-profit charity Onside Advocacy is looking for volunteers for the PLUS project that supports people who are feeling isolated. Service users can have disabilities or mental health problems and need guidance. Training is online and expenses paid for when volunteers are ready to start to get started and help on side which works across the county. Anyone interested should call 01905-27525. Well now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Moira, 
Jules and John for reading and recording and to Carol Hartle for leading the admin provision. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So with best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Alan Berry, formerly of Malvern Hills County Council, passed away peacefully in hospital on the 27th of October 2021, aged 75 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 24th of November at 10.45am. Family plowers only please, but donations if desired for Cancer Research UK or RNIB, Royal Institute of the Blind People. Anne Garland, former deputy head and headmistress at Rushwick Primary School between 1973 and 1995 died peacefully at home in Colwell on the 5th of November 2021 in her 85th year. A service will be held at St Thomas Church, Crown East Lane, Lower Broadheath, Worcester, WR26RH on Monday the 22nd of November at 12 noon. The family can otherwise be contacted through Jackson Family Funeral Directors Limited. Linda Milligan died suddenly on November the 10th, 2021 after a long illness. Private funeral. Nigel Page, of Worcester, passed away peacefully at home on 9th of November 2021, aged 64 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 22nd of November at 9.30am. Donations only, please, if desired, may be given for St Richard's Hospice. Audrey Sibyl Giles, late of Worcester and previously Pinbin, passed away peacefully after a short illness on October the 31st, 2021, aged 88 years. Funeral service will be held at St Nicholas Church, Pinbin, on Monday, November the 22nd, followed by cremation. Diana Joy Griffin, née Prout, of Sherwood Lane, Worcester, passed away at her home in Worcester in the early hours of Wednesday the 27th of October with her family by her side. Diana's funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 19th of November at 12.15, followed by a celebration of her life. If anyone wishes to contact the family directly, contact Penny on 07795072313. Hazel Hancocks passed away peacefully on 2nd of November, aged 86 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 25th of November at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. John Main, known as Barry, retired employee of Worcester Engineering, passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on 31st of October 2021, aged 87 years. Funeral service, Worcester Crematorium, Friday the 19th of November, 145. Family flowers only, please. Betty Smith of Lower Broadheath died peacefully at her home on Saturday the 23rd of October 2021 after a long illness aged 87 years. 
The funeral service has already taken place. Irish Touch, Audrey, passed away peacefully on November the 2nd, 2021, aged 96. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on November the 26th at 1pm. Family flowers only and donations to St Richard's Hospice. Please wear something blue but no black. Raymond John Jones, known as Ray, formerly of Pershaw and Windermere Drive, Worcester, and recently at Redhill Care Centre, Worcester, passed away at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on 13th of November 2021, aged 78 years. No funeral details have been given. Gillian Box, née Sterry, passed away suddenly 27th of October 2021, aged 76 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday the 30th of November at 1pm. At Gillian's request, no black. And family flowers only, please, but donations if desired to maternity bereavement. Kate Eagle of Peopleton, on November the 10th, 2021, peacefully in Worcestershire Royal Hospital, Avon 4 Ward, aged 76 years. A private cremation and a funeral service with cremated remains will take place at Peopleton Church on Thursday, December the 2nd at 12 noon. Ronald Granger, Ron, passed away peacefully on the 5th of November 2021, aged 85 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 22nd of November at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please. Maureen Joyner, née Stevens, passed away peacefully at home with her family by her side on 2nd of November 2021, aged 80 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 22nd of November at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, and casual bright colours to be worn. David Edward Williams, formerly of Martley, passed away peacefully on the 8th of November in Flanethley. No funeral details have been given. <laughs> 